Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. What is up, podcast fam? Hope you all had an amazing weekend and are getting ready for a great week ahead. I'm so excited to be releasing this episode today with the one, the only, Anthony Vasquez. Anthony is one of the most well-known photographers for wedding photography here in New York City. He has done tons and tons of events and weddings, and some of the most notable people who he's worked with are the Jonas Brothers to Robert Herzevec of Shark Tank and countless others. His work's been featured in People, The Knot, Party Slate, U.S. Weekly. If you are in the business of shopping for a wedding photographer, I highly recommend you get in touch with this man. I love this episode for many reasons. I thought we were going to talk a lot more about photography, and we ended up talking a lot more about business. And it was very interesting to hear that that is his real passion, business. He just happens to apply his energy and focus into photography. So, With that, I hope you enjoy this episode. I know I did. Lots of bits of gold in here around business and building a life you love. So with that, enjoy this episode. The one, the only Anthony Vasquez. Thank you so much for coming on my show. So, so pumped to have you on. Likewise. Thank you, brother. So preparing for this show, I wanted to just kick off because I was really drawn to a quote that I pulled right on your website from your bio. I couldn't imagine a different life. I love every aspect of my work. I've been so blessed to be living my passion every day. So I really resonate with this quote. And maybe you can just, for those that don't know, share a little bit about who you are and what you do. But before we jump in, the reason why I resonated with that quote so much is because I started this podcast, Bits of Gold, because I'm on a mission to inspire people to build their dream life. And why that mission is so important to me is I'm I'm currently 26 years old. By age 25, I lived through significant tragedy in my life. At age 20, I lost my dad to a rare cancer. And by age 25, I lost my mom to an even rarer cancer. And through this experience, I I learned that each day is a gift and not a guarantee. And the importance of living your dream life, whatever that is for you, living out your passions, knowing how limited and short our time on earth is. And I thought it would be unique to start this podcast because I was just drawn to that quote. And very excited to share your story today. Awesome, man. Well, I mean, I'm sorry you had to go through that. I mean, I think, uh, you know, fortunately, that's I still have both my parents. So, you know, it's hard, I think, when somebody has that to even kind of comprehend or relate to that. But I think that, you know, for friends I have who have kind of dealt with those kind of issues, it has shaped them into who they are. And I think it's made them, I mean, ironically, better people because of that. Yeah, I always say that through that experience, you lose so much, obviously, but I'd be lying if I didn't admit that I've also gained so much. You know, I've gained this unique perspective on life that I carry with me. And that's why, you know, I was so drawn to have you on the show, a passion on a daily basis. That's the message I really want to get out into the world. So excited to have you on and share your story. Uh, So yeah, shoot. What can I, you tell me. (laughs) 
So maybe to start, we could take it back to the beginning, wherever that is for you, maybe your childhood, wherever your beginning is. I'd love to also hear about how you landed in in photography. Sure, that was all by chance. I mean, just to start off, I've always been entrepreneurial. I grew up in a house with a father who had uh, migrated from Puerto Rico who didn't speak English. So I always say that that kind of shaped my work ethic because I saw how hard my dad had to physically work to provide for his family, put food on the table. And that was really, you know, seven days a week. I always say I I saw my dad on the seven, every seven years on my birthday because that fell on his day off. So I'm a big believer in work ethic and hard work, honesty and integrity. And I feel that hard work builds integrity and honesty in people you know, in a way that other things don't. I also, quite frankly, believe that if anyone is handed anything too easily in life, it's actually an extreme disadvantage. I think, you know, hard work and adversity build what I believe to be moral fabric and character in people that can't be built any other way. Mm. What was that like for you growing up, seeing your dad? You know, it sounds like it was a grind. What What was that experience like? For yeah, you? I mean, I think, you know, every every young kid wants uh, more attention from their father, especially in those kind of households. And I think, you know, it goes one of two ways. For me, it just it, it taught me the dedication to work. But at, at that young age, you definitely want that attention. Um, I think as an adult, what happens is you now seek that attention in other ways. So, you know, you always want your father to be proud of you. So you do that by in a lot of ways, following in his footsteps of hard work and where in, in many instances, that may not be the healthiest way to go about it. It's the way that I've got about it. And I think at times I've actually, you know, worked myself harder than what would have needed to be in a lot of ways to fulfill that as the oldest son in a house uh, like that. You know, there is a lot of pressure put on you to to succeed and to be, quote unquote, a breadwinner and, you know, to be able to provide opportunities for your family that they may not have had otherwise. Mm. In terms of photography, how do you stumble into photography? Uh, randomly, I just needed a job when I was 16 years old. And my friend's mother um, actually uh, worked at a wedding photography studio. So it actually uh, kind of fell into my lap in that sense. Wow. So you stumbled in. Did you fall in love right away? What was what was the experience? Yeah, like? you know, I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed it. You know, I think it took a little while because it was something that but, you know, once it progressed and once I was able to develop, you know, my certain specific skill set, then it was something that I definitely uh, grew a passion for, you know, but for me, that's part of my passion. Business and entrepreneurship are really my, my true, you know, I'm a business nerd. I wouldn't say as much as I am a wedding photography nerd, if that makes sense. So, you know, for me, I always thought my destiny would be entrepreneurial. Photography is just kind of the route that it took, if that, if that makes sense. Mm. Did you do anything? Prior to picking up the camera for the yeah. first time, yeah, I was a, uh, I was a hustler, bro. I was painting houses, washing cars, shoveling snow. Um, I sold baseball cards, so I was always finding a way. You know, at twelve years old, I was running a racket in grade school in seventh grade, flipping <laughs> baseball cards to kids. You know, while I was bringing M and M's to school and then selling them, like that kind of stuff. So I always had an inclination. So yeah, you're I hustling. I guess I'm curious. You chose the path of photography in terms of like your your entrepreneurial mindset. Were you thinking that like, hey, I can I can create a unique business here? What was your thought process specifically around like why do you choose the path of photography? Obviously, if you're entrepreneurial, you can go a lot of different directions. So why photography? Yeah, you know, I think what was important is, you know, you have to be good at something that you're gonna be passionate about. So, you know, I think sometimes people fall into um these fantasies of, you know, overinflated self-worth where they try to discover something in life or pursue something in life. But you really, but you know, and again, I, I usually, I loved Michael Jordan as a kid growing up. I'm not six, seven. I can't jump high and I'm not good at basketball. 
So to have a dis a delusion <laughs> that I would ever be a professional basketball player or even a good one or even be a basketball player, period. I suck at basketball, but I enjoyed it as a kid. That's delusional. Now, maybe I would have been a good sports writer because I love basketball. So I think, you know, you have to find something where you have the ability to move forward, where you have the ability to really attain your goals. Whereas, you know, some people just, you know, and wedding photography was that for me. Whereas other people and other entrepreneurs, they, they become delusional in what they're trying to achieve. Mm. I think a lot of younger people struggle finding what it is they're passionate about, or they've found what they're passionate about, but they don't know how to turn that into a business yeah. or something more than just like a well, hobby. I think, you know, so you I'm might curious. be passionate about something and it might be a really shitty business. So I think, you know, you first have to define mm. what it is you're passionate about. So, you know, for instance, you may be passionate about beekeeping. Well, as far as I know, there's not millions of dollars in beekeeping at this point. It's probably a really novel hobby, but it's not something where the masses are going to be in demand for your beekeeping services. Now, I could be totally wrong, right? There may be a way that you could have a YouTube channel <laughs> and this becomes a great side hustle. But in all reality, beekeeping, as far as I know, is not a something that's going to make you incredibly rich. So I think you have to first decide what it is you want to do. Then you have to see if there's a market for it, test that market. And if it's a viable product or service that you have and there's a demand for it, then it's something you should pursue. But then you have to look at that in two ways. If there's a demand, what's the current supply of, of that product or of that service? Is the market over flooded currently? And if it is, then you really need to pivot and think, you know, A, do you have something that's so fucking good that you're going to stand out? Or are you just going to run amongst the pack, in which case, you know, not have a really clearly defined service where people are going to want something from you or need something from you. So you have to you have to be fulfilling a need and a want. And then there has to be the marketplace for that to support what you're, what you're looking to do. If you don't have those things, I mean, quite frankly, what you have, in my opinion, as I always say, is a glorified hobby. Yeah, absolutely. So you start, you start working in the studio at around 15, mm -hmm. uh, 16. Do you continue working in that studio through college or no? Yeah. So I stayed with them in, until college, which is a, a good question. They actually fired me when I was 21. The, uh, the day after I graduated college, they called me in to let me go. And they were selling the business and they thought that I would be detrimental to the sale of that business. Because I, would have, because I would have wanted to buy it and I would have been, um, at the time, I was very upset that it was not offered to me because the, the mm. business really should have gone to me. In essence, uh, based on like who was there and everything that was going on, it should have been it should be my company to buy. I mean, in retrospect, looking back, it was the best thing they ever did for me in firing me because it gave me the motivation. It really put a chip on my shoulder. Um, number one, to be successful. You know, I've always said if there's if you want me to do something, tell me I can't do it and I'll go do it. Mm. So in college, you were working with them. What was that like balancing the? Thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think I hear kids these days, and I say kids because I'm almost forty, complain about like life work balance. They're overloaded, blah blah. I have absolutely zero sympathy for that. I took a expedited course load at NYU. I graduated in 18 months and did 20 credits per semester um, to do that. At that point, I just wanted to get out of school when I had transferred to NYU and it was working full time. So then working weekends. So you're a beast. Yeah. So I have no tolerance <laughs> for that lazy mentality bullshit where people are like, oh, I'm too busy. You know, you know, you're too busy with what? Watching Netflix and scrolling on Instagram. You know, again, like it comes down to you can achieve whatever you want. And, and it's just a matter of putting the mentality to that. And I was very driven at that point. I wanted to prove people wrong. You know, I felt that when I entered NYU, I also had a chip on my shoulder because I, I didn't come from the pedigree. A lot of those kids that did there, um, I didn't come from a wealthy family. I didn't come from a high-end, expensive private high school. Um, I came from a normal high school and I went to a community college before I got into NYU. But when I got there within 18 months, my goal was to, you know, really tell everyone to go fuck themselves in my own way. So I wound up being the valedictory nominee 
graduated as a Founders Day Scholar. So, you know, I think it goes back to you can, again, you can achieve whatever you put your mind to. So, and as a matter of fact, I prefer the underdog status. I prefer entering a community in the wedding field as Latin American um, with Puerto Rican last name, with the Spanish last name, Puerto Rican heritage, and proving everyone wrong. We're in a space where really it is, you know, Caucasian dominated. And, you know, we were one of the first Latin owned, very successful studios, especially in the Northeast. And I take great pride in that. So I think, you know, you really have to look at, you know, a lot of people would let that interfere and say, I can't do it because of that. I like to do it the other way around and say, I will do it because of that. So what you're doing is you're taking, instead of living at the cause, you know, and the effect. So you're living at the effect. How can I get to where I want to be? And I'm not going to let anything stop me instead of putting all these roadblocks up mentally, like, oh, I came from this background. I can't achieve that. And, you know, I think right now, given our current political climate, there's so much being talked about. And, you know, I always say to, to young men of any ethnicity, specifically, though, of African-American or Latin descent, you're going to have to work harder to achieve what you want. It's up to you, though, to define what that's going to look like. And you have the ability to prove everybody wrong. More is going to be expected of you. You're going to be under more of a microscope simply because of your last name or the color of your skin. And, and that's just, unfortunately, the way the world is. But use that to your advantage. Use that as motivation. Don't let that hold you down and don't let that oppress you from what your dreams are. Mm. Yeah, I, I love everything you just said. I, I always say it's important. The stories we tell ourselves is super important, whether you can or you can't, you know, you're right. I know that's a cliche quote, but I do think there's a lot of truth to that. So I read after college, you, you decided to travel for about a year to Italy. Correct. Is that right? Yeah, I was there uh, probably about six months. Four that six was months. after you got laid off? It was actually before I finished out my last 12 credits in Italy. Um, I was able to somehow convince the dean of NYU to let me walk and then finish out my last credits in July in Italy. Um, and then I just stayed. I went early and then stayed later. Did you just want to travel? or Yeah, there... you know, I, I knew, I, I kind of knew at a young age that I was going to go into business for myself. I had some really good job offers leaving college, um, none of which uh, I had decided to take. So, you know, I was 22 years old and I said, now's the time to build my business, whatever that's going to be. And that's when I started Anthony Vasquez Photography. So right before I started it, I said, let me get out of here for a little while because this is probably the last chance I'm going to have for a while to travel. And I, I, I'm glad I did it because I was right. Um, I haven't had a vacation like that since then. So. <laughs> Were you away for a year? No, I, I couldn't go for that long. It was probably like three and a half, four months in total. Just you? Yeah, just me. So a lot of people, I feel uh, maybe they're like hesitant to travel by themselves or you don't hear that too often. What What was that experience? Yeah, so like I mean, I, I strongly recommend it. And I feel like now with COVID, unfortunately, those opportunities can be taken away from a lot of people. But I do think you know, number one, as Americans, we have a very sheltered perspective on the world because we grow, grow up in such a big country. Whereas in Europe, you know, you're, you're surrounded by 30 other countries and, and you can travel very freely and, and experience vastly different cultures. So I think number one, experience is really crucial in terms of worldliness, ability to relate to other people. And I think traveling by yourself also really lets you get to know who you are as a person in ways that traveling with a group of people might not necessarily offer you. So I, I think anyone who's young, number one, should study abroad. Number two, should travel abroad uh, by themselves for an extended period of time. I think it really, it gives you a different perspective on the world. It lets you immerse yourself in a culture that you normally wouldn't have been exposed to. And I think there's some really great life lessons within that. Did you feel pressure to come back and start your business yeah, sure. when you were there? No, I was a beast, man. Felt- I was ready at 21. You know, I always, you know, I mean, if there's, I'm so fucking competitive in life at everything I do, you know, like, <laughs> There's, you know, I'm in the middle of a business negotiation right now, and it literally irks me to death. Like I've lost sleep over it because I'm not in the position to win the negotiation. 
and I know I'm not going to win it and I have to just eat it. And it bothers me. Not necessarily the financial loss because the financial loss is really only a couple thousand dollars in the grand scheme of life. It's not that much money. It's the fact that I'm losing in something. And, and like, you know, someone says, well, sometimes you have to lose to win. And I get that. Show me a fucking good loser and I'll show you a loser is my, my <laughs> perspective on that. Anyone who loses well, you know, if you look at anyone who's achieved greatness, they don't like losing, you know, and I think if, if anyone's watched the 10 part Michael Jordan series, he doesn't lose well, <laughs> you know, Kobe Bryant yeah. doesn't lose well. They never did. And there's a reason because that to them was the worst thing possible. And in order to achieve, you know, whatever your greatness is, yes, there have been great lessons in my losses and I, I am grateful for those. They've made me a better business owner, a better person. That being said, I'm never going to sit there and actually enjoy loss in something that you're competitive in. You know, and I think, again, you get back to current American culture. We have this inclusion syndrome going on where kids get participation awards, which drive me nuts. I actually coached, <laughs> I actually coached soccer a couple of years back and I refused to give out participation awards. And, you know, some of the parents got upset and I said, you know, in life, you don't get an award for participating this team sucked and the kids suck. And that's not, that's not bad inherently. They're kids, but yeah, you don't reward them for just showing up, which half of them did, half of them didn't anyway. I'm like, so your child doesn't even deserve in a participation award because they missed half the game. And people really were, you know, offended by that. What did the parents say? Uh, they weren't happy about it. You know, I'm sure I got some emails. I wasn't invited to coach again, needless to say. And, <laughs> you know, I didn't get a participation uh... award. I'm like, you know, we had rankings. Then there was this whole other issue of not keeping score. They didn't want to keep score of the games. And I'm like, you know, in, in life, people keep score. You don't show up to work and go, I don't feel like working today. And they go, we're going to give you a raise because you don't feel like working. So I think, you know, it gets back to in business and stories and in my life, you know, I've always been competitive i've gotten more competitive as i've gotten older actually and it's just you know it's hardwired into my dna i don't know that necessarily i can shut it off what i have learned though that is to accept loss because it's part of it but to learn from those losses right so there's a lesson a silver lining yeah, those. that doesn't mean i enjoy it if that makes sense yeah i mean i'm 26 i'm nowhere near having a kid yet but if that's the future kids of america we're, we're in for a rude awakening we, we are <laughs> you know and i think you know whereas other cultures that is not cherished competitiveness is cherished you know and you see the output that some of those countries have in different fields you know india produces some of the most brilliant minds in the world because they are very competitive at math let's say so you know again it's not in china as well whereas now we have this concept of hey everyone needs to have a place to fit in and yes i get that to a certain degree but at the same time you know when you go to college to get a D1 scholarship, they don't go, did you participate? No, they look and see how good you did. And that's the bottom line. It's, you know, it's very black and white at that point. So I feel like, you know, again, it, in, in business, it's the same. You know, there is a black and white to that. And, and you do have to be, you know, high, in my opinion, highly competitive to be highly successful. Yeah, absolutely. We're grooming, we're grooming some weak future kids out there. For sure. <laughs> I guess what would you say has been like your biggest failure from, from starting your business? You know, I think, you know, for me, it's an easy one. I think, you know, I've, I've at times expected people to be me and everyone is individual and unique. And I think as I've gotten older and through a lot of business coaching and I work with a great, a great business coach is that what you have to do is put people in the best place where they feel comfortable and they're going to succeed. So what you may expect of someone is not maybe what their best potential is. Everyone has, you know, their own avenue to ride in and you may expect the best of yourself. Other people may not. So what you want to do is put people as a business owner and as a leader in a position where they can succeed. Every one of their failures is actually your failure. And when you reframe business in that scenario, 
what you're doing is you're taking the onus of responsibility away from the people who work for you. And you're putting it all on yourself as the owner, the CEO, and the leader. And I think we've seen greatness in COVID right now, right? And we've seen absolute fucking disgraceful failure. And at both ends of the spectrum, it's because of the way leadership was 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 handled. It's really simple. You know, uh, I'll give you a perfect example. PayPal rolls out PPP program funds thousands of businesses instantaneously, seamlessly. Well, when you call PayPal and you say, hey, guys, thank you so much. You know what they say? Our CEO really made it easy for us to do this. Wow. Now you call Capital One. They still haven't gotten their shit together three months later and still can't execute a PPP <laughs> loan. Well, let's just say they're top down, right? So what did their CEO do differently? I mean, simply the CEO of PayPal made it an initiative to help other businesses. And what they're going to do through that is be a legacy company that is remembered from that because customers are going to come back and say, holy shit, my major lending institution worth tens of billions of dollars couldn't execute a $10,000 loan, but PayPal was able to execute those loans. And PayPal is going to be a company that's remembered. And, and really the only difference there is competent leadership versus incompetent leadership. So, you know, again, I think it goes back to from my own understanding is of my my greatest life lesson has been put people in roles where they can excel and that they're good at. Don't force people trying to do something that they can't and then don't expect others to be you because you're the owner of the business. And if you're not the one working the hardest, people are going to look at that and go, they're just not going to respect you. So I'm not saying you always have to be the one working the hardest, but you do need to be present. This whole concept of like entrepreneurialism as hands off or marketing schemes and all those things. It's bullshit for a reason, bullshit. But, you know, people living these dream lives on Instagram, you know, I think that gets back to people who were born into the Lucky Sperm Club in a lot of ways, or, you know, they're, they're the Mark Zuckerbergs, <laughs> but that's so rare. You know, that's the point zero 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 one percent at 28 years old. The guy's the richest kid in the world because at 28, you know, you're still a child in a lot of ways. That is such an anomaly, but and people want that, and I don't think that that's realistic. I think slow and steady. Yeah. Um, the tortoise wins the race over the hare, and there are those there are those exceptions to the rule. There's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be a Zuckerberg who hits it out of the park at 26 years old. But for every Zuckerberg, there's a million kids who had that dream fail and are now sitting home with their thumb up their ass, wondering what they're going to do with the rest of their life because they were so <laughs> unrealistic about what their expectations for life were. Yeah, Instagram is a funny, a funny platform because there's so much bullshit. Yeah, ninety nine percent of it's bullshit. Yeah, I, mean, I tell in, you, in the, in a... I know people whose businesses <laughs> are failing right now who are on Instagram talking about how great their business is doing. Meanwhile, they're on the verge of bankruptcy. People who are filing for divorce who still pretend like they're in love on Instagram. So, I mean, what it's done is it's put out a fictitious reality that people want to think they want to live in, and it's just not the truth. Yeah, it's crazy with the virus too. I think it's sort of opened up. I mean, you see how many businesses rely on that that month's revenue coming yeah. in just just to keep their doors yeah. open which has been pretty eye-opening yeah sure. you know and a lot of small businesses listen they don't have the capital and again the united states defines a small business of anything under 25 million dollars gross a year that's so ridiculous as a number because most of these businesses are a quarter of a million or a half million and have three employees so they may be a hundred thousand you know what i'm saying it's not that 25 million yeah. is a big business a big small business yeah, and a, we need to really reclassify that you know i have 24 employees yeah eight in full-time office people and 16, I'm still very small, you know? And, and again, there's levels to that. We're, I'm, a, uh, you know, we're still of the mom and pop level. Um, I have a good friend who has 150 employees. He's still classified as a small business. They do 35 million or $26 million a year in revenue. And so they're very different. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So I know last week when we were talking, you had mentioned around 
through Corona and all this, you would realize some things in your own business that you were bigger, maybe in terms of overhead. I'm curious how your business has changed since Corona and maybe even your, your mindset. At yeah. Mentality. I mean, you know, so two great questions. Number one. So to answer the first part of your question, how has the business changed? I think the world has changed. So now my business inherently is going to have to change with that. So the first thing I've seen is the gap between Gen Z millennials bridge with baby boomers. So now the parents and the kids are using the same technologies, whereas before there was a separation between those two. So that's now over with, you know, parent, my mom knows how to use Zoom now. So again, like we've bridged that. With that is a lower cost of doing business. So not just my company, but I think companies around the world are realizing, hey, I don't need an expensive studio in New York City and London and Singapore because people aren't going to want to come in. The bottom line is COVID is here. It's here to stay. We've seen that as states are now starting to reopen massive upticks. We have not recovered. We have so far from recovered from COVID. We still have 38 million people on unemployment. We're still at the highest number since the Great Depression. New jobs are not being created. That's all semantics on number plays. Those are just people returning back to work that were furloughed. So, you know, again, the state of the union, the state of the economy is in dire straits. Um, we are in the greatest depression since the Great Depression, if not worse than that. Um, you know, we hit these numbers in 12 weeks versus four years for the Great Depression. So, I'm a little bit of an economics buff. I think young people now really need to read history and immerse themselves in that so they can get a better understanding of the current state that we're in. That being said, my business carried a lot of overhead, as do any businesses that operate in New York City, between taxes, payroll, government fees, rent. You know, We're paying the highest in the country, minus maybe San Francisco, I'd say. And within doing that, what happens is you now find yourself working to cover overhead because you're grinding it out just to pay the bills. So what COVID has taught me is I can still run my business efficiently. I can have my entire staff work from home. I can get rid of my office. I can slash my overhead by hundreds of thousands of dollars. I can keep my business operating, which is really important to me. Um, I can keep food on the table for myself and for the people who work for me. I can do so in a more balanced way. I don't have to work 80 hours a week because my overhead is less. I'm spending less money, which means I need to make less money which means I need to grind less, which means I can be more present, which means I can live a more fulfilled life. And all those things are part of it. So I know that was long-winded, but that's the answer to to the first part. Yeah, that was great. Take notes, people. (laughs) Um, And then the second part of your question was? Second part, well, I think you should have answered it. It was more around how your your business has has really changed. And I guess- Yeah, I'm in a large event business, so we're completely fucked right now, to be honest. There's no short- there's no way around it. I mean, the, the bottom line is I photograph people who gather in large groups. Well, that is not happening right now. And the reality is, you know, that may be in jeopardy for some time to come because, you know, the COVID virus isn't going away. And I can't see, you know, certain states are going to allow it. But I don't think New York, New Jersey are going to allow large group gatherings for a long time for two reasons. We have very conservative governors. And I think, you know, and again, this is in my own political views, it's just the reality and a reflection of what's going on politically is Cuomo hates Trump, Trump hates Cuomo. You know, I mean, again, it's like, you know, you, 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 the reality is these people don't like each other, so they're never going to agree on how to handle these situations. Yeah. Are you doing anything? Are you just sort of riding the wave out or are you trying to do anything in terms of a pivot now or yeah. like what's your you, plan? You know, I think, you know, staying focused, I think pivoting right now for a lot of businesses is tough because, you know, for me, you know, shooting people, like, let's say you go around and do family portraits of people wearing masks on their steps. Yes, that's a good, no, but I mean, I know people are doing it, right? With my, even yeah. with my base overhead, there's not enough money in that for me to, to go on that and do it. So now you can ask, well, Anthony, you know, hey, maybe that would retain clients. Uh, the amount of time it takes to do that for a company like me, it doesn't work. I think if you're an individual, that's a great idea. It's a great way to get your name out there. It's a great way to develop a portrait business. It's a great way to be remembered. It doesn't work for me. I think, Right now, pivoting without knowing a lot of where the future is, 
is interesting. So normally I'm like, yeah, let's pivot. But what does pivot look like right now? And where do you pivot to? So what I'm looking is kind of just battening down the hatches. So my pivot was to massively reduce overhead. And I do that every day, literally. I, I figure out ways to cut spending. That's my recommendation to entrepreneurs right now. I think to not know where the world is and pivot to something else. The last thing I want to do is see people throw money at something that may not even be viable. You know, let's say your dream was to open a coffee shop. Now's the time to do it. Maybe not. Like what if New York State doesn't open up fully and you can't run your business correctly? It might be the worst time to do it and you might lose your entire life savings. So I think having a better, clearer idea where the virus is headed over the next couple of months will then allow me to more clearly decide at that point where I'm going to pivot. You know, I'm not of the panic. I'm like, let's really lay this out. Let's see where it's going. And then let's make really good decisions based on that. Got it. Yeah, that that makes sense. So you're just, you're sort of writing it out right now. going to see how things evolve and then make some decisions once there's some more data and yeah, uh, maybe some more like things that are in Yeah, I want to see where things are going. You know, I want to see, you know, where's the real estate market going? Is it, is it, are we in a good place, bad place? You know, I think there's so many, you know, there's never been more uncertainty in my lifetime than, than right now. So I really want to see where things are and where things are going before I start making some major decisions. I think, you know, uninformed decisions usually are not good decisions. And I want to be, I want to have more data before I start making really important decisions that may or may not impact my business severely. So I completely get yeah. that. I'm curious just to go back. So when you came back from Italy and you, start, mm -hmm. you started your business, did you go right into wedding photography? Well, that's what I had been doing. So it's, it's kind of what I knew, you know, and it kind of just made the most sense just to just roll with it because I already had clients. You know, I already knew people in the industry and it was really seamless to just jump over and start doing that full time. So you were already sort of plugged into yeah, that. Yeah, I was already uh, very like immersed in that world. So it, it was very simple to just kind of go right into it. What would you say separates a good photographer from a great photographer? It's, it's an interesting question, especially nowadays with, with Instagram and everyone having a camera. You know, I think great photographers have, have a really deep understanding of lighting, the technical aspect of it. Whereas today, you don't need that because there's so many Photoshop and all these different programs that you can get away with out having these really deep understanding of the actual profession and the art of photography. People pick up a camera now and then go shoot a wedding and it's kind of just how it goes. So I think, you know, having that deep understanding is really the separation between good to great um, and great photographers really do understand that at a deeper level. Like, what would you say is your positioning? Obviously, there's a lot of people you can turn to in, in terms of wedding mm -hmm. photography. How would you say you position to stand out from the rest? You know, I'd look at your business and the brand you built, and I'd say you're an iconic name in, in the wedding photography business. So, that, but Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the big <laughs> thing is you really have to, if you want to set yourself apart from everybody else, you really need to, you have to be dedicated to it. You have to put the work in, you know, and you have to be willing to, go the extra mile. You have to be willing to really, 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 in my opinion, put the work in, work for free. A lot of people don't want to do that. They want to just get to the top and say, hey, I'm here now and not put the extra hours in and not put the dedication into shooting and learning a craft. And they want to do it overnight. Whereas, you know, when I grew up with photography, you learned on film and it took years. Uh, you can shortcut a lot of that, but you still need to put the work in. And I don't know if you've ever read Stephen Pressfield, but, you know, you got to do something for 10,000 hours in order to have mastered it. You know, and I do believe that. I think we've gotten away from that. And I think if you want to be great at anything, whether it's podcasting, it, it doesn't matter. You know, you have to put the reps in and really, really, really learn that skill and that trade. Yeah, that makes sense. Whenever people come to me fresh out of school and they're like, what do I do now in terms of getting a job, getting an internship? 
I always say go work for free. You know, I think it's a lot yeah. easier to get opportunity that way. And yeah, for sure. Definitely get your hands hands dirty that way and dive right in. Yeah. And I think, you know, listen, no one's going to pay you to learn. Right. And, and there's an ironic paradigm between that because people are willing to pay a college $50,000 a year to get, you know, <laughs> basically get stuck in debt, learn nothing. Um, I mean, I think they barely teach you how to wipe your ass these days in college, in my opinion. I, I didn't walk away with a lot. And I shouldn't say I didn't walk away with a lot, but I certainly didn't walk away with what NYU was asking at $300,000, you know, and I think you don't learn the practicality of life in these places of higher education and you come out riddled with debt and then people suddenly don't want to work for free when they get out, but they're willing to pay these schools fortune to learn whatever it is that they're teaching. Mm. It sounds like your take on college is that there needs to be some change there over, yeah, over I think time. Be, for, uh, you know, I, I'm of the belief that I don't think college should be free, but I certainly don't think that these places should be charging $70,000. Now, that being said, we live in a free market economy. I just don't think people should pay that. So if I had a child tomorrow, I would really mandate them go to school. And for me, it's, it's not necessarily what they're going to teach you there. It's I feel like that's where you get to grow up in a lot of ways. And it's a good place because at 18, you really don't know shit. So it's a good place to, to become an adult. That being said, I, I would... I would want them to go to a state school or a SUNY, um, you know, CUNY, where tuition is 10000 or 15000 not um, unless they get a scholarship. You know, I don't feel that kids coming out of school with these massive amount of debt, it's going to hamstring you for the rest of your life. And you're going to have these bills that, you know, no one tells you you're going to be paying a mortgage payment out of college for the next 20 years. And that's really what it is. Yeah. I mean, I think even it's, it's, it's also the fact that you don't even recognize the, the impact of that when you're 20 years old. No that it will have on the rest of your life and how behind it really puts no, you. No, you can't even I know you mentioned, home, you know, I mean, or buy a house. Yeah, it's, you have these, it's ridiculous. It's certainly crazy. I had a unique college experience. I went, I went to Bentley, transferred to Syracuse in my junior year, and I definitely had a unique experience. I mentioned before we started the show, I started my first business at 14, and yes. they were very supportive in terms of me pursuing my entrepreneurial journey. I got to do all these classes one-on-one with professors that were very focused around business. But in terms of it being worth the equivalent of what you're spending, et cetera, you know, I, I think school needs to majorly change over the next several years, decades, et cetera. I don't know. You know, I, I think it's interesting just going back to it. I always say for what I paid for, I was very fortunate. My parents paid for my college education, but for what, for what it cost, it would have been curious if they seeked out and obviously I'm not expecting my parents to have done this, but if they seeked out experts in different fields and they pay them the same that they paid for me to go to college, if I would have had an advantage now. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I mean, for me, and I agree, you know, I, I was fortunate. I got most of my 90% of my college tuition was covered on scholarships. So I graduated with very little debt, but I, I do agree. I think, you know, I think we need to rethink that. I think especially now with COVID to send a child to school for $50,000 a year, and then not even go to a campus is absolutely absurd. Um, you know, to learn to homeschool at that price is absolutely insane. Um, and there's actually a couple of class action lawsuits now. I know GW is being sued, um, as well as a few other people for refunds for tuition because of what's going on. So you had mentioned that you work with a, an amazing business coach. How long are you working with a coach for? Yeah, so I did a lot of uh, Tony Robbins programs. And then from that, I met my business coach. And I've been doing that now for about three years. And I think, you know, for the one problem with entrepreneurship is a lot of times with CEOs, you don't have somebody who you can go to on a consistent basis and bounce ideas off of. So that is where, you know, your business coach becomes really your HR center, your mentor, someone who you can really go to when you're when you're faced with severe or 
critical problems that need to be solved. And this is the person who, who can guide you on the best way to handle those. Did you, I think it's really interesting because going back to college, I find that it's crazy how much people spend on college. And then after college, you just go and get, go into like the work, working world. Maybe you go and start a business depending on your path. No one, very few people, I shouldn't say no one, but I'd say the, the minority of people will go and continue to seek furthering their education, working with a coach, trying to level up, step sure. up their game, et cetera. Do you work with, like, how have you seen your business or your performance evolve or grow since working with a coach? You know, I think it, it, it makes me more accountable. It makes me see things from a different perspective. It makes me more compassionate because I'm able to have a different voice in my ear. Um, and I think that that's really important. Do you work with a coach in anything else besides business? No, just strictly for business. Got it. That all makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm always preaching the importance of working with a coach. I work with a business coach. And over time, if there's something that I really wanted to dive deep in, whether it be fitness, um, I've worked with a dance coach, wh whatever it may be, whatever thing I wanted to like really dive deep and accelerate my learning curve and have that accountability. I've, I've worked with a coach and I've seen enormous growth in whatever those areas yes. were. Awesome. Well, I know we're, we're rounding out the, the time here. Maybe just one, one more question. Yeah, sure, My podcast is all about facing adversity and building your dream life. And we obviously spoke about a lot in the last 45 minutes or so. But with that, what would be your bits of gold in terms of how to build a life you love? And I know that's a pretty broad no, yeah. question, but question. would love to hear what would be your advice in terms of how to build a life you love? Yeah, man, I think you only have one life. You only have one chance of this. So I think you really need to decide what it is that you want and go after it. If you don't, you're just going to live this life of mediocrity and, and mediocrity to me is complete failure. You know, unless you can be happy with that. If, if mediocrity to you is is sufficient, then God bless, you know. Um, but I think for people who are probably listening to your podcast, it's not. So go after that goal, but don't let that goal define you. I think it's really important as well because there's going to be a lot of bumps and, you know, and, and, and getting to that goal uh, at the end of the day is just a goal. And, you know, it can be weird. Um, and, it, you know, you have to be, you have to love the process, not just the goal. So it's all the things that you do to get to where you want to be. But then once you're there, what do you do? Um, and I think I've come across that in my own life. So it's, it's really focusing in on staying present in the process because the journey and the process and the people you meet and the places you go, that's what it's all about. The goal is just kind of the, the marking point. And unfortunately, we get too goal-oriented. Uh, I'm guilty of that myself when really it's process and, and being in love with that process, uh, I think would be the most critical bit of gold per se um, that I could drop on anyone. I will appreciate that. Where, where can our listeners find you and connect with you? Yeah, for sure. Um, you can find us very active on Instagram at Anthony Vasquez Photography. And then I have my own podcast, The Anthony Vasquez Show, which we talk about small business. And then as well on Facebook, Anthony Vasquez and Anthony Vasquez Photography. I'm very active on my own personal page and then uh, Anthony Vasquez Photography for business. All right. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for the time and uh, excited to share this with the world and our yeah, fans and thanks followers. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. All right. Have, a, have an amazing day. All right, brother. You as well. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Bits of Gold. There were so many nuggets of gold in this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you liked it, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To stay up to date on the latest news, updates, etc., follow us along via Instagram at Bits of Gold underscore podcast. Bits of Gold underscore podcast. Every Monday, we'll be releasing a new interview. Every Wednesday, we'll be doing a recap and lessons learned from that interview. And every Friday, we'll be releasing a new solo episode. 
Make sure to subscribe and tune in for more. Thank you so much for all the support thus far and can't wait to bring you more content coming up. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 